It's time for Thriller Thursdays here on the Mutual Audio Network, if you dare. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. There's an old song that says only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noontime sun. It probably tells you everything you need to know about the character of the inhabitants of that rainy little island, that the guy who wrote that song was an Englishman himself. When you've got a reputation for civility, pale skin, and crumpets, even a comparison that involves rabies can seem positive. My apologies to those who've spent more than a couple of months in the English rain, but I, after what passed for the summer of 1943 there, I was actually grateful to hit an Italian beachhead before I sprouted mushrooms, heavy machine gun fire notwithstanding. I don't know if Matt Dawson was an Englishman. If he was, he hid the fact pretty well beneath the smooth veneer of a lawyer who was nearly as sharp as he thought he was. But I do know that on the day when he slid open the grey-green door that bore the proud but peeling letters Justice and Dixon, it was at least 90 degrees in the shade, if any could be found, and something like a Turkish bath in the office itself. And Dawson looked more comfortable than any man had a right to in his tailor-made three-piece suit. He cut an impressive figure all right, imposing enough that old King, the crime-busting dog deluxe, slinked away from the client chair he had been lazing in without a word, but Dawson wore it casually, like it was effortless, and maybe it was. He eyed his surroundings with a raised brow, but made no comment to suggest he was in anything other than the lobby of the Ritz, and indicated King's chair with a magnanimous gesture. May I? Knock yourself out. And I mean that most sincerely. You boys know each other, or do you now plan to insult everyone as soon as they walk through the door? Saves time. Matt Dawson, you know my partner, Miss Dixon. I don't. Miss Dixon... Nice to meet you. Trixie, please. Matt used to be an ace eagle scout in the DA's office back in the day. That was a long time ago, Jack. Back when you used to run around with that kid with the round face. What was his name? Tom Fellows. And I bet all the money in my pockets you hadn't forgotten. Ah, yes. Whatever happened to Tom? I shot him. And I bet all the money in your pockets that you knew that already. I don't read the society columns much. Lips get tired? Don't be like that. I haven't tried to get your license pulled since before the war, and we both know it was fellows that got you into trouble more often than not. Yeah? Yeah. So, how about you, Miss Dixon? How did a nice girl like you come to get mixed up with this hat rack? I lost a bet. If this is a social call, maybe I'll take the dog out to look for an air-conditioned fire plug somewhere. Maybe it's best that you don't. Anything to drink in this place? Possibly. Though I may have just smoked the last maraschino cherry. Three bourbons it is, then. We have bourbon? Filed under H for hide it from Jack. D for damn it! P for poor and please. Manners and everything. Not what I've come to expect from my local DA. Haven't worked that side of the floor in a few good years now. Public defender? Not exactly. Nothing quite so philanthropic. Matt doesn't strike me as the type. This isn't exactly a soup kitchen you're running here, Jack. Though... Not from lack of trying. Your broth, sir. Huh. Touché. Success to crime. You two drink together much? That's his Sunday best toast, too. We like the same movies. Bottoms up. What's the hurry? 
it has brothers in the bottle. Hence the Easter Bunny routine with the booze. You two aren't an item, are you? No, I will have to have that second drink. You have a very cynical view of romance, Dawson. I guess I do. Astonishingly enough, Jack has a steady girl. And you? I have standards. Ouch. Did you have a purpose in mind when you walked through the door, Mr. Dawson? Or were you just hoping to grift some rot gut? This would have to be aged another decade to qualify as rot gut. And I did have business to discuss. Surprisingly enough, I still do. Sit down before you fall down. Thank you. I will. As it happens, Mr. Justice is right. When I left the DA's office, it was with the intention to have more to show for my legal career than a few fist-sized holes in my stomach lining. I moved into private practice at Gillis and Baker. They draw a lot of water in this town. That they do. Mostly corporate law, or at least that's where most of the money lives and most of the influence within the office. But when you represent money and power, it pays to have a few guns handy that know their way around the criminal courts. Especially a guy who knows the priorities in the prosecutor's office. As you say. I've done pretty well for the company, mostly keeping our clients out of court. And when I can't do that, I keep them out of jail. The fact of the matter is that people often get the justice they can afford. Gosh. Pardon me while I write a folk song about that. I'm not going to banter with you on the subject. Lord knows I hear enough of it, and some of it is fair. I've kept some people out of trouble who deserved it right enough, but it never bothered me. Until? What's that? Beg your pardon, Mr. Dawson, but I'm not just a pretty face and a fantastic pair of legs. Even if she does say so herself. I have a general idea of how the private detective business works in this town, and an extremely occasional source of information inside the city's biggest firm. Less occasional lately, I've noticed. You shut up now. Gillis and Baker has a detective firm on retainer, don't they? Braithwaite's. And drink number three makes its entrance. And while your work might never have bothered you before, my guess is that you wouldn't be sitting in that chair if there weren't an unless or an until coming up fast. Where did you find this one, Jack? She was here when I moved in and she wouldn't leave. As it happens, you're right, Trixie. I'm stepping pretty far off the reservation coming to you with this. You got somebody off you shouldn't have? Just the opposite. You have my attention. Matt Dawson spilled his tail with his glass of fine domestic paint thinner balanced neatly in his hand and his vest buttoned all the way to the very top, cool as a cucumber. I don't trust a man who doesn't have the decency to sweat in front of mixed company. But if we never worked for anyone I didn't like on spec, there wouldn't be much point in ever putting pants on, much less coming to work in the morning. Many were the days when I found myself unable to recall just why this would be a problem, but today didn't look to be an exception. But what he did have going for him was a three-day retainer at $39.95 a day plus expenses. Before visions of sugar plums started dancing in our heads, he was quick to point out that he was footing the bill, not the law firm of Gillis and Baker. Dawson was listening to his gut, and if it steered him right, he'd pass our bill along to his masters. If it didn't, well, that was his guts too damn bad. I distrusted a lawyer who appeared to have principles the same way I mistrusted a wolf that said, Bah! But a case was a case. Officially, Dawson was not our client, which was a nice way of saying that if we sank, we shouldn't expect him to help us swim. Officially, our client was Lorraine Brink, 22, blonde, and currently accused of grand theft, dangerous driving, and vehicular manslaughter. We made our way over to the Metrolite Hotel, where Miss Brink awaited trial in a style to which Miss Dixon had never had the opportunity to become accustomed. I'm afraid I can't offer either of you a drink. Uncle Paul thinks it best if I remain sober as a judge for the time being. And I'm not entirely sure that he's wrong. Has this been a problem? 
Please don't stammer and blush. Both Miss Dixon and I have seen the inside of a bottle or two in our day. And the fact that Jack can only recall one or two of them gives you an idea of how many there really were. I won't lie to you. I like a drink as much as the next girl. Don't you believe it? I've seen the next girl's bar tab. Quiet, you. But I hadn't touched a drop the night of the accident, and more to the point, I wasn't even driving the car. John Law begs to differ. How did that happen? I was knocked cold in the crash. Nothing very serious. The doctor said I didn't have any sort of concussion. They seemed to think I just fainted, and I suppose I must have. I was terrified. When I came to, the driver was nowhere to be seen, and I was behind the wheel. Cozy. And then some. Maybe we could start at the beginning. Of course. I was hitchhiking. Please don't give me that stern paternal gaze, Mister Justice. I've done it plenty of times before and never got into any trouble I couldn't handle. Until now. Until now. I was on my way back from a little impromptu holiday. I'd had a run of good luck. Got a lift with a salesman, just happy to have someone to talk to. Oh, you know the sort. He'd have liked to do more than talk, I imagine, but didn't quite know how to express the notion. Three hours I listened to him chatter, but he was nice enough, and it was better than standing in the rain. Then we reached the turnoff for the city, and I had no desire to drive on to Kalamazoo or wherever he was going. So there I was. Twenty minutes later, I was soaked to the skin and awful glad when that big Buick pulled over. This is the car that belonged to Mr. Naismith. So they tell me. I've seen pictures of Naismith since then. The driver wasn't him. He was about twenty-five, brown hair, medium build. I didn't notice the color of his eyes. Forgive me, I've told this story about a hundred times already. And you'll tell it a few hundred more before this is through, and I'm pretty sure Mr. Dawson would rather you didn't refer to it as a story, at least not in court. <sighs> You're right, of course. The driver never told me his name. He offered me a drink from a flask to warm up. I told him I wasn't interested in any sort of warm up he might have in mind. He seemed to like that. <laughs> I saw him take a couple of drinks, and I got the feeling they weren't his first. He was driving fast, and the rain was making it hard to see. But to be completely honest, I was more concerned that I might have a wrestling match on my hands. I wasn't in the car more than. Ten minutes before he swerved into the oncoming lane. At first, I thought he was trying to scare me, and maybe he was, but he lost control. I screamed. The next thing I remember was being pulled out of the car from the driver's side. We were in a ditch. I never saw the other car. Didn't find out that someone was killed until the next day when I woke up in hospital. And in the meantime, your uncle had come to town. Uncle Paul, yes. My parents died when I was young. Uncle Paul was my legal guardian. I'm、uh, afraid we didn't get on terribly well, and I ran off as soon as I turned eighteen. But when he got word, he flew straight in, took care of my medical bills, found the lawyers, handled my bail. I don't know where I'd be without him. Matt Dawson says that Uncle Paul has changed his tune about a trial. Any thoughts on that? They haven't been able to find the driver. Haven't been able to find the salesman I rode in with. The man who owns the car reported it stolen the next day. He's a very wealthy man, they say. No one seems bothered that he didn't notice his car being missing until after the fact. Uncle Paul wonders if it might not be better to try and make a deal. Mister Dawson doesn't seem as sure. What do you think?
I think you should get some rest. We'll be in touch. Okay, so it was thin. Lorraine Brink didn't strike me as the type to get drunk, steal a car, and kill a man with it, but maybe there isn't a type. There didn't seem to be anyone who could account for her movements for the two days before the wreck, time she says she spent hitchhiking across three states. The phantom driver was a big brown average, and the traveling salesman was the same but bolder. Both were now officially invisible. At least Baldy had a name, though Miss Brink wasn't sure if it was Dave or Dale, and she hadn't been paying much attention when he talked. He might have really been heading for Michigan, and then again he might not. In any case, Braithwaite's had pounded that beat and got nowhere. And with the small army of operatives at the gentleman detective's beck and call, they were better at the manhunt routine than our duo act could ever be. But Matt Dawson had a problem with folding his tents and copping a plea. Maybe he was soft on the girl. Maybe he just hated to lose. Either way, he was paying the piper this week, which meant he got to call the tune. Which meant old square John and me had to find something we could do better than Braithwaite's and do it quick. Like maybe harass a police lieutenant within an inch of his life. Oh, no. Hello, Sabian. New necktie? It was in 1943. Hold that thought. Surely. Nelson! Nelson's on vacation. Yeah, who told you that? The nice young officer who let us into your office. Name and badge number. Uh-uh. I'm not the kind of girl who tells. Can I just say something before the sensor goes wild? No. You can both get your fannies out of my office before I throw you in the drunk tank. I haven't had a drink in almost 20 minutes. Did he just mention my fanny? I believe he did. I feel a little violated. Poor baby. Oh, I didn't say I didn't like it. I just feel a little violated. Tramp. What in the name of Marley's ghost do I have to do to get you two to take your sister out someplace else? You could return a phone call once in a while. Any particular one of the nine times you called in the last three hours? Well, now you'll never know. I don't have time for this. That's too bad. What's in the bag? A little something from Crux. Danish? Cherry cheese Danish. And all you need to do is sit down and stop growling long enough to eat. I'll sit, I'll eat, and that's all I promise. Good enough. So, Lorraine Brink. Lorraine Brink? The girl in the car? This rates the hard sale and a warm pastry? The girl in the car. I like that. It has a nicer ring than vehicular homicide. Vehicular homicide is cop talk for traffic accident. This is not my thing. Come on, Vic. I mean it! The DA takes it serious, sure, but there wasn't a lot of actual investigating that went into this. Maybe that's how they got the wrong driver. Oh, so that's it. Somebody else stole the car and then vanished into thin air. That's thin even for you two. You try and find the driver? First of all, this isn't my case. This is a traffic fatality. It doesn't land on a desk in homicide. Secondly, yeah, they found the driver. It sounds like she's your client. Sorry about that. She was joyriding. She was drinking. What else is there to know? The uniform on the scene said he smelled booze in the car, not on her breath. Is that what's in the report? Who was it? Bailey. Martin P. Mm, don't know him, but don't be surprised if he revises that on the stand a little bit. Shocked. I am shocked, I say. Look, Sabian, aside from being our client, she seems to be an all right kid. She needs a break. You got any idea how wild the DA is about my giving out breaks on cases he's taken to trial? That's the DA's problem, and this is not your case. That's what I keep saying! So if you were to give us something to get us started, something Braithwaite hasn't covered nine ways from Sunday... It really wouldn't be any skin off your nose. 
and it would be an excuse for me to leave this second bag from Crooks behind. And more to the point, it would make us go away. What's this? The name of the impound lot where Naismith's car is being held, and a note that'll get you in. Now gimme and get out. Sabian, you are a gentleman and a scholar. And don't you forget it. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. The thing about detective work is, there's nothing like a typical case. Many was the time that old Squarejaw and I were simply the lever that set things in motion. We found Tab A spending his long lunch hours with Slot B, took a few pictures, and cast our check. All the real storm and drang happened later. Other days, we were right in the thick of things as they developed, then got a little worse. These were usually the bad days, but at least we often had an idea of what was going on. But Matt Dawson, Boy Scout attorney extraordinaire, had brought us into the Lorraine Brink affair late in the day. His bill was being paid by dear old Uncle Paul, and dear old Uncle Paul was pushing for a plea. I don't know what you've heard about plea bargains, but when they've got you dead to rights, it's not usually a seller's market. If we didn't dig up something to turn the tide, Lorraine Brink wouldn't see the sun until long after she was neither young nor pretty. In the interests of both expediency and my not spending a scorching afternoon with sunshine, scrap metal, and jack, we elected to divide and conquer. Or at least divide. While he followed Sabian's lead and paid a call on Roger Naismith's car, I decided to go see Roger Naismith. The portrait on the wall of his office lobby was as large as I assumed his ego might be and revealed our tycoon to be a not unhandsome man of about 55. An underling looked at me disapprovingly and refused to even touch my business card, but soon returned with the news that Mr. Naismith would grant me a brief audience. The use of brief rather than short should have tipped me off, even if the plus-sized portrait did not. Mr. Naismith was not unhandsome. He was, however, very untall. He did not stand when I entered his office, but considered me from behind an oaken desk that was as large as he was not. Miss Dixon, my assistant tells me that you're a private detective. I am. And that you are acting on behalf of the young woman who stole my car. Allegedly stole. Yes, I am. You understand that I am under no obligation to answer your questions? I am. So why let me in the office at all? My assistant informed me that... You are a knockout. I am, aren't I? Hope I don't offend you. Sir, it takes a lot more than a little good-natured leering to offend me. I wonder if I can sit down. I was wondering the very same thing. <laughs> Please do try. Ah, uh, the skirt isn't really that short. The legs are just very, very long. So I see. I've never met a lady detective before. <laughs> Tell me, are you carrying a gun? I'm carrying two. But you'd never find the second without buying me a drink. Oh, my. How can I help you, Miss Dixon? You can start by telling me why you didn't report your car missing until after it had already killed a man. I own several cars and have a large and efficient personal staff, many of whom are authorized to use them. I assume the Buick was being used on my behalf until it became obvious that was not the case. And you're sure that it wasn't? I am more than adequately insured, Miss Dixon. I would have nothing to gain from covering up for one of my employees. <laughs> and I myself was at a charity fundraiser on the night in question in front of several hundred witnesses of impeccable social standing. I'm sure. 
You didn't answer the description of our mystery man, anyway. And your client has been unable to identify any of my employees as her fictional driving companion. Guess I'm just spinning my wheels here. Thank you for your time. If you have no further questions, just one. Is there a Mrs. Naismith? I, we, that is, we were divorced ten years ago now. That's a shame. Nice meeting you. Wait, how do I reach you if I think of anything that might help? Your assistant has my card. All right, don't look at me like that. I wasn't really interested in playing Empire State Building to Roger Naismith's Fay Ray, but my little lean-in did get me close enough to a bird's-eye view of his desk to pick up what might have been our very first actual clue. I'd have to make a few calls to be sure, but first I had to see a man about a car, or failing that, Jack. Something cold, Jerry. Cold and in a cold glass with something else cold on the side. Bring her a beer. But only if you're out of liquid nitrogen. Thanks, Jerry. How long you been here? Two liquid nitrogens. Nice. Find anything out? Yeah. Braithwaite's is full of morons. Not exactly news, but it sounds promising. We'll need to talk to some doctors. I thought you went to the junkyard. Impound lot, please. They're very sensitive. Spill. Braithwaite's is full of morons because some kind of gypsy curse. Also, I don't think they even looked at the car. If Lorraine Brink didn't have a concussion, she wasn't in the driver's seat of that Buick. Somebody's melon left a nice crater in that steering wheel, and my guess is they're still in a hospital bed. It wasn't mentioned in any of the accident reports. Because they thought the case was solved at the scene. Any way to prove the damage happened in the crash? Not really. So where are we? On page one of the detective's handbook. When all else fails, start guessing. Yes, Lorraine Brink was not driving the car. So who was? We're no further ahead than Braithwaite's. Not exactly encouraging. How about page two of the handbook? When guessing fails, change the question. Okay. How about this? Why did Lorraine's dear old uncle Paul suddenly start calling for a guilty plea? He and the girl weren't close. Think somebody got to him? Maybe. Why would somebody do that? Because I knew whose head really caved in that steering wheel. Blood is thicker than water. Yeah, but it ain't thicker than money. Which you say because Roger Naismith has a lot of it. Matt Dawson doesn't want us cheesing off the firm of Gillis and Baker, which is paid by Uncle Paul. If Roger Naismith talked to you at all, it's only because your dry cleaner shrank your skirt. Your skirt is fine. So how are we supposed to prove the wild theory du jour? The usual way. With blind stinking luck. With blind stinking luck. Check, please, Jerry. Right this way, sir. Your party is waiting. Uh, but I. Your table is this way. Oh, thank you, waiter. Oh, I didn't mean to imply I was your waiter. I just left my suit jacket here at the table. That's better. What is this? Who are you? The name's Trixie Dixon. You know my mater D, Mister Justice. Is this Uncle Paul? Boy, I sure hope so. I found him dithering on the doorstep, afraid to come in, but he answers the description. You two obviously have me mistaken for someone else. You're Paul Brink. Bearing in mind that Mister Justice wouldn't have much trouble taking your wallet if checking your ID became a necessity. Well, I sit down, Mister Brink. Don't cause a scene. The rest of our merry little band should be here soon. I don't know who you pranksters think you are, but I have a terribly important appointment to keep. We think that we're private detectives in the employ of your niece, Lorraine, sir. Don't get jumpy. 
My partner has a pistol pointed at you under the table if it helps you to relax. What is this? Technically, the legal term is entrapment, Mr. Brink. You should end up being charged with something I can probably get you off. Dawson! Thank goodness you're here. These two suspicious characters have shanghaied me, and I have an important business appointment. I know all about it, Mr. Brink. If I were a betting man, I'd lay a sizable wager that you still have a note in your pocket that says... Come to the Golden Goose tonight, 8 o'clock. Situation has become more complicated. We'll double your fee for immediate resolution. You? Dawson, you wrote that note? No, sir. We couldn't take the chance you'd recognize my handwriting. I did, however, write the note that's in his pocket. Neesmith! What is all this? Brink, who are all these people? Steady there, Uncle Paul. Miss Dixon? What are you doing here? Sorry, Cupcake. No time to play hard to get. He looks disappointed. He should. They set us up, Naismith. Sent each of us a phony note. Mr. Naismith's letter says that Uncle Paul is having second thoughts about selling out his beloved niece and will be needing another $10,000 to settle his nerves. He didn't bring a briefcase. No. I brought this. <laughs> no sudden movements, Miss Dixon. Don't be a fool, Naismith. You can't gun down four people in a restaurant. There are too many witnesses. There's also a gun at the back of your head. Nice and easy, little fella. Who is that? Police Lieutenant Sabian. He wrote the note in your pocket, Uncle Paul. Not if the DA asks he didn't. Hands behind the back, Naismith. You might have got off light if you hadn't pulled the gun. You don't understand. We understand plenty. You probably should have taken your son's picture off your desk. But maybe that just would have attracted attention. Roger Naismith Jr. was supposed to be away at school. A big enough contribution to the alumni fund can cover a trail, even with the Ivy League set, but it usually won't buy you outright perjury, sir. And there aren't that many private hospitals in town. Not if you know the date somebody came in and the sort of head injury they must have had. You went a long way to cover for him, Naismith. You don't understand. This could ruin his life. And yours. And greedy Uncle Paul's here by the time the papers get through with him. To say nothing of a man who died in the street that none of you seem to give a damn about. Can't save that man. I would if I could. But I could save my son. By throwing an innocent girl in prison to rot. You're a real humanitarian. And you, Brink. I'm not so sure that you're not worse than him. That girl is your flesh and blood, and you've sold her like a horse. And now, if you two finalists for Father of the Year would care to accompany these officers to the station, I will be along to book you as soon as I am darn good and ready. Other plans, Lieutenant Sabian? That I do. Move over. What's this? He doesn't know? He's new. Mr. Dawson, can you think of one good reason to gather all the suspects in the best steakhouse in town instead of, oh, say, anywhere else? Oh, hey, but I... Come on, Matt. We caught the bad guys. Doesn't that put us on the Gillis and Baker expense account? But one of the bad guys turned out to be our client, or at least the person paying her bills. Happens to me all the time. What looks good here? Everything. I think the menu is made of meat. Perhaps we could adjourn this gathering to the hamburger stand down the road. Kid... Wrong suspect or not, I am bound to catch all sorts of hell from the district attorney's office over this night's work. Do you think a hamburger buys that sort of grotesque competence from a public servant? Sing it, Sabian. All right, all right, I know when I'm licked, but what would you have done if neither of them had taken the bait? No idea. But it probably wouldn't have involved air conditioning, jazz piano, or a steak the size of my hat. Good times. And that was more or less the way it went. Matt Dawson was a cool customer, all right, and my women's intuition told me that we hadn't heard the last of him. He knew enough to smell a frame when one was handy, 
and had been around the block often enough not to trust a man just because he was paying the bills. But we still managed to teach both he and his expense account a lesson that night. You come out to play in the noonday sun, and one way or another, you're going to get burned, baby. Blackjack Justice, episode 43, Mad Dogs and Ambulance Chasers, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by A.J. Haygarth, Clevisuda Nederlanden, Greg Taylor, Peter Nickel, and Hans Messerschmidt. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Hello, I'm John Bell of Bells in the Bat Free. It's a comedy podcast. Fridays and every other Sunday... Well, anyway, back in episode five of Bells in the Bat Free, we introduced the cowlets, tiny little cows. Where did all these cats come from? They're not cats, they're cows, and they're heading toward the water cooler. Stop it before... Now you can display your love of these tiny cows with genuine cowlet t-shirts. You know what's really fun to do with these shirts? Get a whole bunch of people to buy them. Then you all gather together and run down the street. People will see these cowlets coming toward them and think it's a stampede. You think that would really work, Brad? Shh, we're pushing for bulk sales here. You can also get cowlet mugs, clocks, and other items. Just go to thebatfree.com and click on shop. This is a limited time offer. No, it's not. You just do not not understand advertising, do you? Get your merchandise today with the official Cowlet design created by Jeff Music. Buying lots of them would bring music to my ears. Oh, stop.